We are covering the Tenth Commandment this morning. I'm going to ask us to go right into our scripture. We have been reading each week the introduction to the Ten Commandments, which will be in the first couple of statements, and then the commandment for the morning. So the introductions to the Ten Commandments reads like this, and God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. So let me tell you generally where we're going to go this morning. We are going to talk, for the most part, about the Tenth Commandment, and we're going to be looking at three questions. What does the Tenth Commandment prohibit? What does the Tenth Commandment commend? And what should we do about the 10th commandment? And then since this is our last week together in this series, we're going to look at the gospel and the 10 commandments and how they fit together. So the title of this series is the 10 commandments and the gospel. And so there are at least two understandings of how those two things go together. So we'll spend some time wrapping up and looking at that question. So let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we depend upon you for everything, including a right understanding of your word to us, your word which leads us to life. Open our minds and our hearts, please, we ask you, so that we would be open to you, and let us see the wisdom of the Tenth Commandment and the wisdom of following in your ways, and we pray in your name. Amen. I want to tell you of my experience at 11 Mile House. I went to 11 Mile House exactly once sometime when I was in my 30s. Once was all it took. 11 Mile House was, just, was a place just up the street from my house. It's now closed, and as I recall the place, it was just north of a dive, and it didn't quite meet the standards of a respectable neighborhood bar and grill. You have to love a place where the decor is comprised primarily of t-shirts and deer heads. (laughs) There was beer on draft, and as I remember the place, there was a lot of smoke, which was really kind of strange because my friend Scott Holly had invited me to meet him there, and Scott neither smoked nor drank. (laughs) So I looked around the place and thought, what am I doing here? Now, you should know that Scott and I have been friends for 40 years. We get together every Saturday early, and we solve the world's problems. We used to run together, and then our knees got bad, and Scott got old. (laughs) So now we walk, and it's not all too brisk a walk at that. So on the evening in question, I found Scott, and we chatted for a few minutes, and we ordered, and I thought again, what am I doing here? And then Scott said that he had had a conversation with my wife, Susan, in which she had laid out a number of troubling signs about my life and my state of mind. And at the end of a summary of Scott's conversation with Susan, he said, so tell me, what's going on? 
And mentally, I smacked myself in the forehead and groaned and said, oh, this is an intervention. (laughs) And it was an intervention with good reason. I was miserable. There were a number of good things in my life. I have a terrific wife. I had two children who were not easy, but who were bright and fun. We lived in a, lo- in a lovely home, but all I could focus on was the negative, the things that were not right. I was working all kinds of hours. I was frequently getting home after dinner and sometimes after the kids were in bed. I was studying for my second postgraduate degree at night and on weekends, but I was struggling professionally. I was not bringing new clients into my firm, and I doubted that I ever would. My father had been financially successful, seemingly without effort, but we were just making it financially. We had hand-me-down furniture. We shared one car. It was a used Volkswagen Dasher. At some point, my kids discovered something about the upholstery. It was kind of this plush velour, and if you just pulled on it a little, you could rip it off in strips, and my kids went to work. And pretty soon, there was no more upholstery. There was only foam rubber. We put blankets over the seats and hoped that no one ever looked into the one car that we were sharing. I took the bus to work. The car thing irked me greatly. This was not the way that things were supposed to go. Besides the money, I felt like all my friends were zooming by me professionally and in recognition at church. And it was really hard for me to enjoy their success, even in the success of my good friends. I didn't recognize it, but I was full of covetousness. I wanted the things that others were acquiring. I was full of self-loathing, of resentment, of anger, and these emotions were toxic. Now, I could not have admitted any of that to my friend or to my wife, and I couldn't even admit it to myself. You see, covetousness is a disease that works in the mind and the heart, and it often does not show itself in outward behavior. And I am, after all, a civilized man. I am not the kind of coveter who wakes up one morning and decides to march my armies into Poland. I'm not that kind of a coveter. I am a subtle coveter. I am a polite coveter. I am a covert coveter. (laughs) And I was badly in need of an understanding of the Tenth Commandment. So what is the Tenth Commandment, and what does the Tenth Commandment prohibit? So, we've looked at the commandment itself, but it's worth taking another look back to see some word patterns and some repeated words. So, the first thing that you need to know is that the key phrase of the commandment is repeated. You shall not covet, you shall not covet. And I think that this, well, the repetition is unique to the 10th commandment, and I think it is there because the sin of covetousness is internal. It works on the heart and mind, and we can deny that anything is wrong. So there can be an interior dialogue that goes like this. I read, do not covet, and I say, what? Me covet? 
I don't have a problem with that. And then I read again, do not covet. Next, you should see that the word neighbor or neighbors appears three times. And we're going to pick that up a little later in our conversation. Then you should see what things we are not to covet. So there is a list of items that includes all the things that make an ancient household go, and indeed a modern household too. So don't covet a home, a spouse, labor, that's the servants, the capital assets of another, that's the ox, that's the, transporta- the, the, the transportation is next, that's the donkey, or anything else. And there are seven items on the list. And in Hebrew culture, seven was a number of completeness. And so just in case you do not understand the words anything else, the list of seven makes clear that we are not to covet anything which is our neighbor's. And then next, we need to get a better understanding of the word covet. This is not a word that we hear every day. What does it mean? Well, there are several kinds of thought that do not constitute sinful coveting. So my desire for the fulfillment of basic needs is not sinful. And it is also not sinful coveting to admire something that is owned by another. So it is perfectly all right to think or to say out loud, what a beautiful house, what a beautiful ring. So what is coveting? Well, the best definition that I have seen is setting your desires on things which are inappropriate. Now, I've been kind of thinking this through all week, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. So the first one is clear. So some things which I would desire are inappropriate for my desire because they belong to someone else, right? Pretty clear pretty much in line with what the commandment says. But I think there are a couple other categories that are candidates, and I'd be interested in your opinion because I'm not sure that they're so clear. So also coveting would be some things, desiring things which are inappropriate because I already have enough. And some things are inappropriate because they keep me from doing something better. So the biblical reference here would be the rich fool, who builds more barns and more barns because he has more crops and more crops until one night, unexpectedly, his life is required of him. My real-life example would be Imelda Marcos. Does anybody remember her? Yep, old folks like me. She was the first lady of the Philippines, and she she and her husband overstayed their welcome in the presidential palace. When she left, she had to flee. There were 3,000 pairs of shoes in her closet while many people in the Philippines lived in abject poverty. Now, I think that that qualifies as coveting, but I'm not sure it's exactly within the commandment. So I'd like to take a vote here. How many of you think that having way too much and doing way too little good with it is a form of coveting? All those opposed who say that is not coveting. Okay, so there's a, vo- there's a vote back here. Now, I want you to know that if you said no, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have pointed. If you said no, this is not, not coveting, you should know that we always have a tendency to want to minimize the categories of sin, right? So there is a Pharisee among us. 
Now, I also want you to know that it would be extremely difficult to fix the exact number of shoes, which is the appropriate number. <laughs> Who makes that decision? Is it three? Is it 30? Is it 3,000? So it's possible that every Christian in North America, because of our standard of living, is coveting, except for 16 people who live in a commune in Idaho. So every vote was wrong. Isn't it a good thing that God determines these things and that it is not us? So I, want, I also just want to say one more thing, which is that I, this is the first time you've ever gotten to vote, I think, on what is a sin, and please don't tell the pastors. <laughs> so many commentators have noted the progress and the process of sinful coveting. So let me ask you if you have experienced this. Say that a casual intrusive thought comes into my head. By a casual intrusive thought I mean an idea which is inappropriate but it pops into my head unexpectedly and spontaneously. You ever get thoughts like that where you just go, oh man, how could you think that way? That is so wrong. Well, I think that kind of thought shows my broken nature, but I don't think that it is yet coveting. It depends upon what you do with that thought. I could either put the thought out of my head or I could take the next step. So down the path through coveting. So the next thought, the next step would be nursing that desire. Instead of dismissing it, I begin to turn the idea over and over in my head. The step after that is allowing the thought to take deeper root. I begin to fantasize about what it would be like to have the object of my desire. I begin to think about how having the object of my desire would change me and change my life. And then I begin to make a plan. I don't mean just a general plan. I mean I begin to think through how this would actually work. And finally, there is the act itself. So now we are no longer in the realm of coveting. We have stolen. We have stolen honor, life, reputation, property, or a spouse. I like the expression of Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, right? I hope we get this. So sometimes birds fly over our head when we least expect them. In much the same way, we cannot keep fleeting thoughts from coming to our minds, but left unattended, they, either the birds or the covetous thoughts, can take over. And we covet when we harbor the thoughts and we give them control of our hearts and our minds. We need to keep covetous thoughts from taking over our heads in the same way that we would take action to keep the birds from taking over our hair. So, so far we've been talking about the negative side of the 10th commandment. We've been talking about what the 10th commandment prohibits. But we should also see that there is a positive side to the 10th commandment. What is it that the 10th commandment commends? And if the 10th commandment is observed, what is the result? 
So the first thing that we should think about is that there are benefits of the Tenth Commandment to the community. A Tenth Commandment community is built on a solid footing. We noted earlier that the Tenth Commandment mentions neighbors three times. In a Tenth Commandment community, people can trust their neighbors. People can leave their houses unlocked. I can leave my power tools unattended in the front yard and I won't have to worry about their walking away. And I am genuinely happy for my neighbor's success. So you can see the beauty of a Tenth Commandment community. But the Tenth Commandment is not only for the community as a whole, but it is for us individually. There is a change in individuals. Every thoughtful person wants to know the answer to a basic question of life. What is it that satisfies? What is it that gives pleasure that lasts? What gives real joy? And the Tenth Commandment points to the answer. Many people think that their satisfaction lies in money, sex, power, and other earthly values. These are things that God created for us and for our enjoyment and for our benefit, but seeking our ultimate satisfaction in any created thing is a recipe for unhappiness. Instead, we were created to seek our satisfaction in God. So the positive side of the Tenth Commandment is that it reminds us that when God is our greatest treasure, we are most satisfied. So here are some other scriptures that remind us of this fact. So in the Old Testament, Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So life, joy, pleasures, who wouldn't want these things? And where are they to be found? They are to be found in the presence of God. John 10.10, Jesus speaks and he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what was the mission of Jesus? Why did he come? So that we could have life and have life abundantly. Matthew 13, Jesus speaking again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a field, and that field and the treasure in it give the man who buys them more joy than everything else the man has. And finally, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is it that offers great gain? It's godliness with contentment. And contentment was the very thing that I was lacking. So the Tenth Commandment guides us to real satisfaction. Now I want to go back to 11 Mile House. After my conversation with Scott Holly and my conversation with Susan afterwards, I saw that I had work to do. So I'd like to talk with you a little bit about what I learned, the journey that I went on, and what advice this old decrepit Tom Werner would give the 35-year-old Tom Werner. So the first thing I would tell that young Tom Werner is this, build, and in my case, keep godly relationships. My wife and my friend were concerned about me and were willing to ask me hard questions. They didn't beat me up but they asked me what was going on in my heart. So I would encourage you here 
to build and keep real relationships with godly people who will ask questions. The second thing I would advise you is to read the signs. Am I coveting? As we said, coveting starts in the mind and heart, so self-examination has to start there. So young Tom, ask yourself some questions. Do you spend substantial mind share on what you don't have? Things would be great if I only had fill in the blank, whatever that is. And if you're spending substantial part of your brain power there, I would tell you, stop it. (laughs) Secondly, do you make purchases for the purpose of impressing others? And third, I would say, are you unable to be truly happy for the good things in the lives of others, or would you really just assume that they didn't have all those things that you'd like to have? So I had to plead guilty on all three counts. The third thing I would say is reflect on godly values, godly priorities. A good thing for me was that at the same time that I was grappling with what it is that I valued, I was also reading God-centered theology, by which I mean theology that expressed the, the idea that God is the center of life and he's our true source of satisfaction. And I found that this was really true in my own life. I also believe that God has a sense of humor. So he began to give me a passion for missions. And while I was working in missions, I found Christians who had much less than I did, but who had real joy. Over a period of years, I went to places like Honduras and Haiti, where the words, give us this day our daily bread, has real meaning. I went to some places that had been behind the Iron Curtain. I went to a church in Ukraine and visited there not too long after the Berlin Wall came down. There was such joy among those Christians that they could now worship freely and they could share the gospel with their neighbors. They were building a church building for the people who were part of the church and those who they thought would come. They were building this with their own hands and there were about 60 families in the church. And of course, they needed a parking lot to accommodate the cars. The cars that, you know, like I would like to have more of. How many parking spaces do you think they needed in the parking lot for those 60 families? Five? And yet these people were so joyful. (laughs) It really shamed me. (laughs) It did because... I I needed to know that it would be possible for a Christian to find real joy (laughs) and real satisfaction, which these people had with only one car. Do you know how the rest of those people got around? They rode the dang bus. (laughs) I needed to repent, and I began to appreciate to what degree my desires, the things that I thought that I really needed were formed by my family background, by being in a certain social setting, which was suburban and professional and entrepreneurial, people who were successful, how much my expectations of what I needed depended upon advertising and my own competitive nature and above all on my own covetousness. So I began to, I hope, 
cultivate appreciation of the right things. So I needed to appreciate, along with turning away from counterfeit pleasures, I was able to begin to appreciate the real pleasures that God had given me, including my wife and my children and my home. And then five, I would commend to you, young Tom, if you are in over your head, try and put some strategies into place, very practical things. So first of all, Websites that do me no favors, whether it's consumer goods or pictures of people that are inappropriate for me, block those sites. Just take the time to put aside some of those things that I might see. Um, I would say arrange my bank accounts and my credit cards so that I did not spend money that I didn't have. Not long ago, I heard about a man who started off in a helping relationship with a woman who was not his wife and then began to be attracted to her. And the man sat down and made a careful list of everything that he would lose if the relationship became inappropriate. And it was like taking a cold shower, and he was able to put the, perspective, the, the relationship back in perspective. So that's my story of the 10th commandment. I'm glad that I went through it, although it was painful at the time. I'm sure that none of you have the kinds of struggles and thoughts that I do. But if there's one or two of you, I hope that it's been helpful for you. So I want to do a transition now. I said at the top that this was the final week that we would get together and talk about the Ten Commandments. So that gives us a few minutes to talk about the Ten Commandments as a whole and how we should look at those commandments. Now, each week that I have been here and we have talked about a commandment, I was convicted first of the goodness of the commandment, but I was also convicted of my failure to keep the commandment. I also know that God is perfect in his holiness and he cannot just ignore sin. So what should I make of the 10 commandments? Should I despair over my failures and whether I can ever be made right with God? And that, of course, leads me to Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Not long ago, Susan and I went to a documentary titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And as you might expect from the title, the story is told in the movie of Fred Rogers, known to most of us as Mr. Rogers. Rogers. And I have to tell you that from the stories told about Mr. Rogers from family and friends and co-workers, the man that you saw on the television screen was pretty much the real guy. He was a man who was kind, he was caring, he was patient, he was generous. And so about two-thirds of the way through the movie, we are told of a tender family scene. As Mr. Rogers was in the hospital and nearing death, he asked his wife, Joanne, a question. He said, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? I think that's an amazing question. I think the question he was asking is, am I right with God? And Joanne Rogers says that she answered him. She didn't have to call him Mr. Rogers. (laughs) She said, Fred, if anyone is a sheep, you are. And she cited in part Matthew 25, which part of which is on the screen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate, separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Now, as the passage unfolds, and if we were to read further, we will see that the separation of the sheep from the goats is based on whether we have cared for our neighbors well. Have we provided water to the thirsty? Have we fed the hungry? Have we welcomed strangers? Have we visited the sick and the prisoner? If so, we are sheep and will be welcomed into eternal life. If not, we are goats and we are condemned to eternal punishment. Now, it's hard to know from a 30-second scene in a movie exactly what it is that Mr. Rogers believed. For instance, we don't know what was left on the cutting room floor, and the point of the movie really is primarily what a good man Fred Rogers was. But the scene, I think, reinforces a couple of common understandings about how things work. First, people who do enough good go to heaven. Those who do not do enough good do not go to heaven. And secondly, by this standard, even a person as kind and generous and good and patient as Mr. Rogers can never know if he has done enough good to have earned life after death with God. So the title of this series is The Ten Commandments and the Gospel. And gospel for anyone who doesn't know, means good news. So is this the good news? I don't think so. Is this how we are to be judged as sheep? Does my standing before God depend on whether I have done enough good to find my place in heaven? Can I ever care for people well enough to get into heaven? Can I keep the commandments well enough to get into heaven? I don't think that's the way to understand my place before God. There's another passage on sheep from another perspective, and we're going to talk about that. So I want to tell you first that this is a photograph that you see that sits in our home. Here's the photograph. It was taken by a woman named Sophie Gunther, and Susan and I picked it up in a visit that we paid to Provence, France. And it pictures sheep on a sunny day, going through a narrow passageway between woods and brambles. And up in the front is the shepherd, right? You see him up there? Here's the shepherd. Susan and I keep this in this place in our kitchen because that's the busiest place in the house. It's the place we visit most often. It's where we spend the most time. And we leave it there because it reminds us of whose we are. We belong to the shepherd. And that's why we are sheep. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Our standing before God depends on whose we are. Jesus says three things about himself. He says, the first thing he says is, I know my own. 
The second thing he says is, I lay down my life. And the third thing he says is, I give them eternal life. Note that Jesus says that he lays down his life. Of course, he's referring to the cross. And why? Why did Jesus lay down his life? Well, it is because none of us has fed and clothed enough others as we ought. We've never given enough water to the thirsty, nor have we kept the commandments as we ought. Probably not even Mr. Rogers. But Jesus has laid down his life because we did not keep those commandments. And so we have eternal life. Jesus says also three things about us as his sheep. He says, my own know me. So he knows us and we know him. If you're in relationship with God, this is back and forth. He says, my sheep hear my voice and my sheep follow me. This is the good news. We have eternal life because Jesus, our shepherd, has laid down his life for us. And if we believe that, we will want to hear him. We will want to follow him. And so we will want to take care of others. And we will want to keep the Ten Commandments. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Has he laid down his life for you? If so, you will want to hear his voice. You will want to follow him. You will want to care well for others. You will want to live by his commandments. May it be said of us that we follow the commandments. We care for others because Jesus is our shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the commandments. Thank you that they guide us away from that which is poisonous, that which is toxic, that which would do us all manner of ills, including coveting. Thank you that instead you, through your commandments, bring us life as a community and individually. And Father, we thank you for the good news, for the gospel that you have given your son who has laid down his life for our failure to keep the commandments. We pray that we would hear his voice and follow. And we pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat>